Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Thank you for praying for Dorothy Woodcock's family, and uh, she was just a couple months shy of 100 years old, and, uh, but that's, that's close enough. I think we should count it, and uh, what a blessing, though, her testimony. Let me encourage everyone here. She wrote her testimony out, and I read her testimony when she trusted Christ and all the circumstances surrounding that, and so there were probably 80 or people or more at the funeral service. And so I said, I'm not just going to tell you that she trusted Christ. I'm going to read her very own words. And so it was like three pages long. And it was very touching and very moving because it was like she was telling us her, her message of conversion to Christ from beyond the grave. And it was really a powerful thing. And so write it out, write it out. I think it was a great idea that she had and what she did. And so thank you for praying for the family. And it was, uh, it was wonderful to uh, minister and to serve them, and to celebrate her life. The house of prayer is what we'll be looking at in Matthew 21. Hope everyone's doing well and have uh, caught up on rest. Maybe you can catch up on rest later on. There was one two-year-old who, whose parents took her to see her grandparents, and as Kylie was sitting there around the kitchen table eating her lunch, the grandmother joined in there and was getting ready to eat, and she bowed her head and closed her eyes for just a moment. And then after a few moments, she, she opened her eyes and looked up, and little Kylie, just two years old, said something about, wow, was that a good nap? <laughs> and, of course, she was just giving thanks for the food. And that's, a, that's such a good thing for us to, to be able to do as well as to pray. We're going to talk about prayer here today. On the eastern side of Jerusalem... There's a gate. It's a large gate. It's all blocked up. You can see this photo I took several years ago. And you see the more pronounced area in that wall of Jerusalem? That wall's only about 600 years old, but it's around the same location where the walls would have been during the time of Christ. And see, there's the, there's the, uh, the double gate. Like we have the double doors out here. They had a double gate. This is the, the golden gate, the eastern gate. And a few hundred years ago, I think it was a general, it was an Islamic man named Saladin, I believe. He blocked it all up, and he buried a bunch of Muslims right in front. There's a Muslim tombs all along their cemetery. And he said, no Jewish Messiah will ever walk through these gates. That was his motivation for doing that. But in our passage, the Messiah already walked through these gates, or at least in the location of where these gates are at and so this is called the Golden Gate. One day, Jesus will walk through these gates again. Jesus frequented the Mount of Olives. And perhaps in another message in a couple weeks, as we anticipate the resurrection and the crucifixion, we'll be going to the cross in a series of messages about the final prayers of Jesus. Well, Jesus would go to the Mount of Olives quite often. I'll show you some of those photos later of where he was praying specifically in that area. But he sends ahead, one beautiful morning, he sends ahead his disciples to go and find a mama donkey. 
and her foal, her little donkey. And he sends them on ahead and says, I have need of them. And you'll see them. They'll be tied up at a certain location. Sure enough, his disciples walk into this little area that he told them to go. And there was the donkey, mama donkey, and her baby donkey. And they, they bring those back to Christ. He had need of them. He's going to ride that donkey into Jerusalem. And as he does, people start to cry out and to shout and to announce that Jesus has arrived. We'll begin reading in Matthew 21, verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, they were coming to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives. Sent, uh, Jesus then sent two disciples. Now, this would be kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem. It's on the east, uh, east, southeast side of Jerusalem uh, is where Bethphage is. And he says unto them in verse 2, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, that's a term for donkey, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say ought unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put them on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garment in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved. That means shaken. It was shaking. They were quaking. It was a moving place because Christ uh, has come. And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. It's a good study if you want to read the other Gospels and their account of what takes place. During the next several days after this moment, Jesus goes into Bethany and resides there or the Mount of Olives and stays there over the night. But he would go into the temple each day. So he's going back and forth, teaching, ministering to people, healing, and a lot of Gospel uh, teaching throughout the Gospels is found in this, what we would call sometimes the Passion week. But who is Jesus? The people were crying out and they said in verse 11, the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of 
Galilee. Who is this Jesus? As the people were announcing Christ coming in, they were saying Jesus is here, but who is he? A brilliant teacher? Is he a deliverer of Rome? Is he a prophet? Is, uh, that would be a yes for many. They say yes here. Is he the son of God? Well, some would say yes to that. Some would say no. And other, others would say, well, maybe they're still trying to figure this out. As we anticipate our Easter celebration, we start the Passion Week with Palm Sunday and see how this sets the stage for the final prayers of Jesus. And as he's going in and out of the temple throughout these days, he does share a lot of prayers that we'll be looking at the next several weeks. Now let's look at the temple complex for just a moment. Here is a rendering of this. You see that arch right there? That's called Robinson's Arch today. Um, nobody, nobody named Robinson lived back then, but um, it's called Robinson's Arch because a long time ago, Robinson found it. He was a, he, an explorer. He discovered it. When you know people talking about the Wailing Wall, okay, that's down below here. I've been to that area. It's over here. So the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, none of this is here except for a little bit of this arch. You can see where it's pronounced there. You can only see that today, but basically all that's left is this little bit of wall right there, which would be more like the foundational areas of the temple. And so uh, people would come and pray in the temple, but some were outcasts. There were the blind and the deaf and the lame, and they were not allowed into the temple proper. Now, see, the steps have been hard to get up there anyway, but they would not have been, been allowed into there. Now, when we get on top of this plateau, look inside. Here's another rendering of what the temple would have looked like. And by the way, uh, this is Herod's temple. It's a lot larger complex. He was a magnificent builder. It's even bigger, a lot bigger than what Solomon built. So this was made for grandeur, and it was very large. So you can see the different areas here. And so the blind, the lame, the sick, they were not allowed in this area. Way down below, that's, that's the, the image that we saw just a moment ago. That's where some of those people would have been. But refusing the blind and lame had become a tradition since the time of David. David and Solomon, Solomon then building the first temple. In 2 Samuel 5 a, David was leading the charge on something. Wherefore, they said, the blind and lame shall not come into the house. And so from that time forward, there was somewhat of a discrimination against somebody who was ill or sick of coming into the temple. For David, the tabernacle, or here, um, the, the temple. And so they were not allowed in. But in our passage, Jesus starts to heal these people. And it's amazing, as, as he throws out these money changers, perhaps they're running out while the lame are crawling in to visit Christ and to be healed by him. Well, the Lord has a great problem with these money changers here. In Luke 19, another account of this event, saying unto them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but ye have made a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very, were very attentive to hear him. This is a pivotal, pivotal and dynamic moment, and the, the priests decide to take drastic action against Jesus. This is when they determine at all costs we have to eliminate Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. 
the religious leaders, one person said, were treating the temple as robbers do their dens, a place of refuge for both accumulating illicitly gained wealth and for plotting future illegal activities. Caves in Palestine were regularly used as robbers' dens, so the metaphor was clear to Jesus' hearers. The temple's primary purpose as a house for communing with God was lost in the frenzy of temple activity. So instead of praying, they were looking and praying upon people. How can we get their money from them? And how can we exchange at absorbent rates these sacrifices that people are coming to offer? Prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is simply talking with God. That's just a simple definition, talking with God, conversing with God, communing with God could be a way to look at that. Today, I'd like to encourage you to be a person who prays. Be a person who prays. I'd like to give three observations about prayer from this passage. And the first one is this. As the people are so excited to welcome Jesus riding upon this donkey, they had false expectations. And they were crying out these words of praise to God, but they had a faulty understanding of what Jesus had come to do in this moment as he was coming into the temple. And so... When you pray, remember this, that if you pray expecting God to do things that he never promised, you'll be disappointed. Jesus will disappoint you if you expect something he never promised. This is good to know right up front. Sometimes we pray and we think God's going to answer this prayer, but he never made us that particular promise about our prayer. These people had some false hopes. They had some false expectations. Hosanna in the highest. Glory to God. Here comes our Savior, our, our Redeemer. But they were not looking at him as a Savior from their sin, but a Savior from Rome. And he'd come to bring so much more than temporary deliverance. Sometimes when we pray, God answers with something that's so much more than just a temporary deliverance. The people expected that he would save them now or rescue them now. Notice that phrase there in verse 9. As they were crying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed. That's the word we get eulogy from, to speak well of or to praise. Praise, a eulogy, speak well. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Save me. And it has the uh, imperative of now connect to it. Save us now. Don't wait till later. Rescue us now. Save us now. Deliver us from Rome now. We don't want to pay our taxes to Rome now. We don't want these Romans to lead our country now. Save us now. That's what they were crying out for. That's what they were asking for. But that's not the primary reason Christ came. They were looking for a kingdom, an earthly kingdom to be set up right in this moment. But that kingdom was not being established on this earth yet. It will be established in the future. Nathaniel, one of his followers, confirmed that Jesus is the king, but the king, Jesus, was not ready to set up his earthly kingdom. In John chapter 1, verse 49, Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. And so even though he is the king, he wasn't setting up the millennial kingdom or his earthly kingdom yet on this earth. God's kingdom, one person said, is the rule and reign of God that begins in our hearts now and is manifested at the end of the age in the eternal 
physical kingdom. I like that, that statement. That's, that's pretty good. That's helpful. So Jesus was establishing a kingdom. It was in the hearts of men. And it continues then where eventually he'll set up his millennial kingdom. And, of course, the heavenly kingdom is eternal to begin with. So save us now. Their prayer was flawed. They had a, a flawed prayer. They also had a fake faith. Notice, if you would, how they say in verse 11, the multitude said, this is Jesus the prophet. Is Jesus a prophet? You could say that, a prophet. And he does prophesy, and those things do come to pass. The prophet, but he is more than a prophet. He is the son of God. Now, these people don't recognize it yet, but he's going to be the risen son of God, the one who dies in our place, and then rises again on the third day. They don't see that yet. They see, well, he's a prophet. He's been saying things. It's been amazing. We like to hear his teaching. He's a miracle worker. He's been performing miracles. He's, he's doing things like the Old Testament prophets did. Sometimes they would perform miracles, and that's amazing. So he's a prophet. But Jesus is more than a prophet. They had a fake faith. It was a faith in something that is not accurate or true. Some religions today have Jesus as part of their curricula, just to say, I don't know what else to say, just a part of their program. Jesus is part of their program, but he's not the son of God. They may say he's a prophet. They may say he was a good teacher. They may say he's the really good example, but they don't say he's the resurrected son of God. And those religions, whenever they're like that, no matter how nice they sound, are wrong. And you could have people that maybe are following uh, Buddhism or Islam or Scientology or Eastern mysticism, and they, they may include Jesus in their curricula in some fa form or fashion, but they may say something wrong about him. He's more than a prophet. He's a resurrected son of God. And so they had a fake faith. They also prayed with a faulty focus. They were focused on self. Rescue us now. Save us now. Us, us, us. We, 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 we need your help right now. Sometimes we pray that way as well. But for them, definitely, they are totally missing the point with this faulty focus of self. So they, they also then prayed with a flawed future. Save us now, this moment. Don't wait till later. Maybe God has something better for them, and he does. But save us now. Deliver us from Rome now. We don't want to pay our taxes to Rome now. We want to have our own civic leader instead of these puppet governors that Rome gives us now. They prayed with a flawed future, rather impatient. Can you identify with that? Sometimes we can be very impatient. So I think we can see where they're coming from in some ways. But the first time he came was not for an earthly kingdom, but an eternal one. One day, Jesus will set up a physical, literal kingdom on this earth, and it's called the millennial kingdom, a 1,000-year reign of Christ. When he returns after the tribulation and after Armageddon, and he'll go in through that golden gate as King Jesus. He avoided the physical kingdom during this earthly ministry the first time he came to earth. So what does this look like for us? If Jesus will disappoint you, if you expect something he never promised, what does this look like for us? I thought she would recover. I did not plan for life to be so hard. Marriage is difficult. We lost a son or daughter to drugs. We lost our house. 
our bank closed, and somebody's bank closed yesterday or the day before. There could be other problems. Our bank's closing. We lost everything. My car wreck or the car wreck took their life. I thought I would be married by now. I did not think I would be single again. How could I lose my job? The cancer did not leave. Sometimes we pray and we expect things that God did not promise, and that will leave us disappointed. Don't become disappointed or disillusioned when God doesn't answer your prayer the way that you believe he should. In Matthew 21, 22, all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Jesus says that in the very next, uh, in, in, the, in this chapter here, here in Matthew 21. And so, have you ever wondered, sometimes do we, do we pray wrong? I mean, if I'm praying, believing, we should pray in faith, believing that God can answer the prayer. But why is it sometimes that God doesn't answer our prayer the way that we're praying? could be that God says, yes, I will answer it the way that you're asking. It could be that God says, no, I'm not going to answer the way that you're asking. It could be that God says, maybe later, the timing's not right. Maybe later, I'll answer the way that you're praying. Or it could be that God says, I have something better. You're praying one way, but I have something better in response to your prayer. And so don't set yourself up for disappointed. Keep trusting the Lord, believing that he can and will answer prayers, and believing that his answer is the best, even if it's different than the way that you were praying. So why is it then that sometimes the prayers are answered in different ways? Sometimes we're praying the wrong things. Listen to this. In James 4, 3, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. And so here I'm missing the mark. I'm praying the wrong for the wrong things. And so God will not answer that prayer because it's a selfish, perhaps, motivation is what he's speaking of. Sometimes we pray the wrong way, just out, flat out the wrong way. In Matthew 6, verses 6 and 7, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, Pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. That would be a wrong way to pray, just for other people to hear or for an event like that, making an event like that. So disappointment, his appointment, someone wrote. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise, for the end from the beginning, open to his vision, lies. This appointment, his appointment, whose? The Lord's who loves me best, understands and knows me fully, who my faith and love would test. For like loving earthly parents, he rejoices when he knows that his child accepts unquestioned all that from his wisdom flows. Disappointment, his appointment. No good things will he withhold. From denials oft we gather treasures of his love untold. All my life's plan in his molding. Not one single choice be mine. Let my answer unrepining be. Father, not my will, but thine. So our disappointments are sometimes his appointments for something better or different than we expected. So don't, don't avoid being disappointed by praying the wrong way or for the wrong things, expecting something that he did not promise. Number two, then, Jesus invites anyone to pray. 
Anyone can pray. In verse 12, he went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but he have made it a den of thieves. And I love verse 14, because the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Could you imagine these people running out because Jesus just uh, kicked them out with their money tables and, and all the doves perhaps flying through the air and all the other people then maybe crawling up, trying to get up to where Jesus is at in the temple. The blind, the lame, the sick, the hurting were now going up to where Jesus is. Now Jesus quotes two Old Testament prophets when confronting the greedy money changers. The first one is Isaiah. Isaiah 56 Verses 7 and 8, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in, the, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God, which gathereth the outcasts of Israel, saith, yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. So not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well is what he's speaking of here. All people can go to this house of prayer. And then Jeremiah 7, verse 11. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. And so after quoting both Isaiah and Jeremiah, Jesus proceeds to kick out those who were money-changing in the temple. And then... He begins to heal the outcasts, the forbidden, the forsaken, the ones that they didn't want to have around them, the very ones that the religious leaders looked down on. Jesus had compassion for them. The thieves, the money changers, and religious leaders in the temple used people to get money, but Jesus used his power to heal the people. And their ministry had a big difference. Who could have expected this sight? One person commented, the Messiah, having been led in apparent triumph into the city, enters the temple, arousing expectations of pro-Jewish nationalistic action against Rome. Instead, his action, his attack, threatens the sacrificial worship center of Judaism itself. Jesus begins to wreak havoc with the tables and chairs set up for changing various regional currencies into the proper shekels needed to pay the temple tax or purchase animals for sacrifice. These stalls were probably set up at least three weeks before the Passover to prepare for all the throngs of people that were on their way for that Passover season. And so a lot more people than normal, a lot more business activity than normal there, and Jesus then kicks all of that out so that he can heal the outcasts. No doubt, these rejected people were there around the temple to ask for healing or to look for help. So friends, if you're sick or healthy, you can pray. If you're rich or poor, you can pray. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can pray. His house is to be a house for all people. And that's why he's quoting these verses and demonstrating what was so wrong with what they were doing. Jesus would also rather have mercy than sacrifice. As he, as he touches these people, as he speaks to them and they're healed, he would rather have mercy and for us to show mercy than to make great sacrifices in his name. 
In Hosea 6, verse 6, the Lord says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. It offers an example here of Jesus' genuine human but sinless anger expressed in righteous indignation against the profaning of that which is holy. And that's what he was doing. He was upset about this, how they were going against God's call for mercy and not sacrifice. And so he starts to heal these people. God welcomed all people in Isaiah and all nations in Mark 11 to his temple in Jerusalem. And while these religious leaders are saying, no, get out of here, we're going to kick you out of here, he says, come, come, and I want to heal you and share. The sick, the poor, the frail, the Gentiles even, they can wait outside, said the religious leaders, but Jesus said, no, they can come on in, and they did. And so we can pray. Pray for healing. We can pray for help. For help. We need the help of God. We can pray knowing that that's part of the armor of God in the spiritual battles that we're in. In Ephesians 6, 18, praying always, so we should always be praying, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so prayer is an important part of our lives. God welcomes all of us to pray. One simple man once said, Before my conversion, when I prayed in the presence of others, Essentially, I prayed to them. When I prayed in secret, I was really praying to myself. But now, I've learned to pray to God. Examine how you pray and how you really are uh, addressing and talking with the Lord in your prayers. Jesus will disappoint you if you expect something he never promised. Jesus invites anyone to pray. And finally then, Jesus welcomes genuine praise. Jesus quotes something from Psalm chapter 8, and this is in verses 15 and 16. The chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore displeased, but notice how Jesus responds. They say, Hearest thou what these say? Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read? Didn't you read the scriptures? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. This comes from Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Now, consider this for a moment. Some of the adults there knew who Jesus really was. Some of them. Many of them did not really know, or they had a misconception, or they didn't want to believe that he was the Savior because they were expecting something he didn't promise in that moment. But the kids knew. The kids knew who Jesus was. The Pharisees hated this. I mean, after they hear these kids praising God, praising Jesus, they just totally don't like this. Perhaps the kids are just repeating something that they heard in the streets or around the temple. I don't know. But at any rate, what they say is accurate and true about Jesus. And not only that, Jesus accepts their praise. When the Pharisees are criticizing this, Jesus says, didn't you read it in the Scripture? They're going to be praising me. They're going to be acknowledging me because they are believing in me. Kids' ministry is an important part of any church ministry and 
we always need help with our kids' ministry and kids' life and Awana and, and uh, nurseries. And thank you to all those who help. It's a great opportunity because sometimes those kids come to faith sooner and easier to believe in, in the gospel. Um, and so it's such an important thing, such an important thing. They knew the truth. They saw the truth. Now, the word praise here, it's a Greek word, and I think it's on the screen here for you, aneo, and it means to praise or to give praise, and that's the Greek word. Some of these Jewish kids would also have been saying uh, halal, halal, which is the Hebrew word for praise, halal. And if you ever study Scripture, and some of you young, young people, if you are considering ministry, really no matter what your age, it's su such an amazing, fascinating thing to study language. I mean, it's absolute, this, this Greek and Hebrew stuff is just absolutely phenomenal. So when Moses received the Ten Commandments, all right, Ten Commandments, how could he read Hebrew? God wrote it in Hebrew. How could he read the Hebrew? Somebody had already developed Hebrew before that. People say the Phoenicians had the first language. It's probably the Hebrews. Uh, actually, Hebrew is probably the first written language. So think about Joseph in Egypt. Joseph in Egypt, all right, he puts a lot of form and function and organization into Egypt. Doesn't he just totally turn Egypt upside down with his organization? Absolutely. And he did some amazing things. Well, they, they wrote in hieroglyphics. They had pictograms and things written on walls. We can go back and look at those things today. But by the time Moses comes along, somehow he can read Hebrew. Joseph probably was given us ability to put all these pictographs into letter form. But let me show you something here about uh, this and why this is so important here. Because these kids are praising God. Aneo or Halal, they're praising the Lord. So let me back up to this other slide here. Um, right there, Halal. Okay, so uh, this is a hay. That's a hay. And these are Lameds. Lamed. Uh, hay and Lamed. And it's halal is how you would say that, to admire, to eulogize, to praise. It means to shine a light, and it means to lift up. This is how it was always used in history. Now, check this out. This is so cool. When uh, Joseph wrote the language, or the pictographs, rather, that changed into language eventually, early Hebrew is a man lifting his hands up for hay. That's, that's the hay. Hay becomes in the middle, middle ages, or not middle ages like we think of, but middle language, and then later on, in modern, we, we would say that's hey, but it all originated with this, and halal is someone praising with their hands up. That's what it means. They use pictures at the beginning that we put into letters to form words, but that's where it began. And so sometimes you see and even read in Scripture, people raise their hands when they're praying to God, and it's all right. First Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Knowing the etymology of words just really helps you understand uh, the scriptures and definitions and terms so much, so much better and with greater depth. So the language morphed, but it all began with, I'm going to lift my hands up to God. Halal. These kids were praising the Lord. And they understood something about him. Now, while the word praise is to lift up, the word worship is to bow down. Why is it? Why is it that sometimes when we pray, 
Let's all bow our heads. You know what I'm saying? Why do we do that? It's because that's what worship means. It means to bow down. And for them, they usually would get down on all four, prostrate all the way down on the ground in worship. So praise is to lift up. And hallelujah, that comes from the word halal. Hallelujah means to lift up the name of God, lift up Christ, shine a light on Jesus. Hallelujah. And then worship is to bow down before him. And so prayer can include the worship, the bowing down, and the lifting up of my hands to give praise to God. It includes both. These kids demonstrated both on that day when Jesus came in. Oh, it would have been chaotic. It would have been crazy in the temple. All these money changers, money flying around, birds flying away, people running out down those steps, and then all these, these sick people crawling in to get up there. But Jesus demonstrated something about prayer, about mercy, and about his mission in coming to this earth. Jesus will use that golden gate again one day in the future. Jesus was at the physical temple that was called the house of prayer. But did you know that as Christians, you're the house of prayer today? You're the temple. Jesus does not dwell in a tabernacle made with hands, nor a temple built with brick and mortar. He lives in the Christian's heart. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16 says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? He's speaking about the Christian. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So let's be a temple of prayer. Let's be houses of prayer. I'm talking about you as an individual. Be a person of prayer. Make time in the morning, afternoon, evening, whenever to focus on God. Turn the phone off, turn the screens off, and pray. Talk with God. Petition God. Ask God. Speak with the Lord in the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. As one person said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray for stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. Let God do a work, a miracle in through our lives in response to our prayers. And so while waiting for the future, let's praise the Lord. Let's pray often. Let's love others. Let's give mercy to those who are hurting and those in need. And let's live by faith, making our house, our body, our life, a house of prayer. Let's take a moment and pray and also respond to this message. There's some response questions on the screen. You're welcome to look at those. May God help me to have an accurate expectation in my prayer. Sometimes I pray for things he never promised. May God help me to have accurate expectations in my prayer. God can do anything. Make sure we're praying according to the will of God. God has challenged me about that. Help me to have accurate expectations in my prayer. Anybody like that, you can just testify. You can raise your hand, several hands. God bless you, yes. How about this? With God's help, I'll pray more often. I need to pray more often. Take, take more time to pray. Hands are already going up. Anyone else? Yes, yes, good, good. God bless you, thank you. And then may my life and my prayers give praise to the Lord with genuine worship. 
Like these kids praised Jesus, and he accepted their praise. I want to praise the Lord more in my prayers and offer him genuine worship. Anybody like that? God bless you. Yes, many hands again. Thank you. Is there a friend here that needs salvation? Anyone that wants to know Christ as the Savior of their sin and saving them from their sin? If you want to know more information about salvation, talk to me following the service, and I'd love to share with you how you can be saved, be born again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this dynamic moment going into the temple where Christ turned over the money changers, these greedy people, and brought in those who were sick and lame and healed them. Let us have the same attitude of mercy. Lord, when it comes to our prayers, let us be people of prayer, that we would be houses and temples dedicated to praying to you. We know you can answer any prayer. We pray that your will be done. You're the all-powerful God. Let us not be disappointed asking the wrong way or asking for wrong things, but truly seeking you and for your will in our lives. And we also pray that as we pray, that we would truly worship you, lift up our hands in true praise to acknowledge you as the risen Son of God, our Savior and our Lord. We pray and look forward to the following messages leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. We thank you that you're alive and are our Savior today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming today. We do have Awana once again tonight. Uh, please get those mission cards on the way out if you want to help with the gospel missions. Have a great rest of the day. God bless. There are burdens that I carry every day. Sometimes they make me want to cry. Hopeless feelings harbored deep inside my heart. And I find it hard to hold my head up high. In the middle of